Life's not always easy. It can be tough and it can be hard to make sense of things. But the thing is, God is good all the time. God is in control all the time. And the judge of all the earth will do the right thing. And we can trust him for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, even in the middle of our difficult times. We thank you that they are journeying with us. We ask that you speak to us this morning through your word, through each other, through encouragement and circumstances. So we thank you that you're a good God. You are in control and you will do the right thing. So we thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Nearly got away. Um, today I just want to share from a very familiar story. Um, it's one that we've had before uh, from the Good Samaritan, so I'll just read it out. From Luke 10. A certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. This is from Luke 10, verse 26. And Jesus said to him, You have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now the lawyer probably should have stopped there because <laughs> that was probably a pretty good answer. But he wanted to justify himself and said to Jesus, who is my neighbour? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road and when he saw him he passed on the other side. Likewise a Levite when he arrived at the place came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion. And so we went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took two denarii and gave, him to the, gave it to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So Jesus said to him, Which of these three do you think was the neighbour to him who fell amongst the thieves? And he said to him, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Today I'd like to sort of do a couple of things this morning. Um, I'd like to um, sort of unpack this parable, but I'd also like to sort of make a bit of a connection with the work that MAF does, and, um, and in particular the work in PNG. Um, and as they say, a picture says, tells a thousand words, so if a picture tells a thousand words, a video's got to be at least ten times that. So we'll have the first video. If we could play that now. View from the highlands of Papua New Guinea. It is a real privilege to be able to share with the Global Forum how the Lord is pruning, shaping, redirecting, and ultimately pouring out his blessing on the work of Mission Aviation Fellowship here in Papua New Guinea. PNG is truly a textbook example of why mission aviation exists. The indigenous population of PNG is one of the most heterogeneous in the world. Ethnically and linguistically, it is the world's most complex nation 
with about 1,000 people groups speaking approximately 830 languages or 20% of the world's total. PNG's cultures have been molded by geography, successive waves of migration, sorcery, fear, and warfare. Accordingly, PNG has several thousand separate communities, many with only a few hundred people, divided by language, customs, and incredibly challenging geography. Many of these remote peoples are only accessible by days upon days of walking, in some cases rivers, or more reasonably, aircraft. The work of MAF and PNG began on the 7th of May, 1951. Now, 70 years later, MAF has the prestigious honor of being the longest continually serving air operator in the country. Throughout those 70 years, the gospel has been shared. The work of international missions and the local church has been supported. Churches, health centers, and schools have been built. Disasters responded to, education and health services provided, micro-enterprises such as trade stores encouraged, and local agriculture and farmers nurtured beyond mere subsistence levels. MAF operations supported these activities by transporting people, building materials, and trade store products into these remote communities and taking agricultural produce such as coffee and peanuts to markets in regional centers. Since 1951, the program has grown from one initial Oscar Aerocar, launching from a day to a peak in the late 1980s to early 1990s of 17 aircraft of multiple types, with more than 30 pilots operating from 12 bases. But as we know, the one constant anywhere has changed. After PNG's independence in 1975, international missions and organizations gradually began handing over their activities to local leadership. Many of these local organizations lacked the financial resources that had been formerly available through the missionaries. In the 1990s, airlines around the world began to blossom and the pool of experienced pilots and engineers who were available or willing to join MAF began to decline. This meant that the complex nature of MAF's operations in PNG, with the multiple aircraft types, training pathways, inventories, fuels, and engineering requirements needed to be seriously considered. Following a fleet review in 2015, and thanks to the sacrifice of the MAP International family, the PNG program began a transition from four types of aircraft to a single Cessna 208 caravan fleet. Today, the program is operating 10 caravans, serving more than 190 airstrips from five main bases and six minor bases. Our in-country team is comprised of some 100 national full-time staff and 36 international job holders from 13 nations, representing 114 expatriates in total. We have 17 international and one PNG national pilot. <clears throat> so that was just a quick overview of PNG, which is our largest program in math. But in many ways, it's very typical of the MAF operation around the world. Um, some locations like Timor-Leste, Bangladesh and Liberia only have one or two aircraft. Others like South Sudan have six or seven aircraft. Anyway, I'd like to talk more about MAF's work a little bit later, but let's go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. <clears throat> As I said, the story of the Good Samaritan is one that we've talked about before this year. And I found that really interesting to see how different cultures interpreted it differently. I thought it was quite fascinating. But this parable does challenge us on many facets. 
What does the law require? What does love require? Who do you identify with in the story? Who is your neighbour? I don't think we should be too harsh on the priests or the Levites. Their actions were somewhat understandable. Firstly, they were in a high-risk environment. After all, there was a fairly high possibility that the thieves that beat up this poor person were probably still in the area. And if they had stopped to offer assistance, it's possible that they would have been attacked as well. And even this morning, <coughs> and time pressure, and even this morning as I was getting out of, uh, coming out of the garage, Angela was already down here, I was about to head out the door, and uh, my neighbour, literal neighbour, was out doing some work on his house, and I thought, I'd better stop and have a chat to him. And I thought, maybe I should actually help him, but I thought, no, Colin wouldn't appreciate that. <laughs> Colin might get stressed. So I was chatting away and thinking, well, there's about three or four minutes. <laughs> well, I'll see you later. <laughs> and so I jumped on my scooter and came to church. But I, and as I was coming to church, I thought, you know, isn't time pressure such a... It robs us some opportunities. And I think that's one of the things that we in our Western society, we get driven by time. But, but coming back to the parable... Again, I sort of understand why these guys would have moved on. The risk was probably fairly high to them. You could also argue that the priests and the Levites represented the law in this case. Had they attended, this, attended to this man, it's quite likely they would be ceremonially unclean and unfit to carry out their duties when they arrived. That wouldn't have been fair. That was the requirement of the law. So there's an example of how law can limit love. So we might do what's legal and the minimum requirement, but love requires us to go further. And this is very challenging to me. What actions can I justify based on that's all I have to do since I'm a law-abiding citizen, that's what I need to do, I've got this happening, I need to be there. We can justify a lot by the law. But do I really love my neighbour when I simply follow the law or the minimum requirement? Currently, I'm vaccinated, I'm unvaccinated, I'm this, I'm that. All of these can limit love. Incredibly dividing times at the moment, but how can we love each other? What was one of the marks of the hallmarks of the Christians according to Jesus? What was the mark of the Christian? By our love, this will all mean now you are my disciples if you have love one for another. I guess we always need to be careful when we open up, like, up with words like I, me, my rights. Because again, whilst that may be true, the law limits love. And I may actually be under, operating under the law when I start using those sort of words. Philippians 2 verse 6 says, In your relationships with one another... Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on the cross. So God, Jesus could have rightly stayed in heaven, but he didn't. He stepped out of heaven on earth. And that's in Philippians 2, verse 6. So God himself demonstrates this when Jesus steps out of heaven and came to our place 
to meet our, meet our needs and bridge that gap between us and God because he loved us. In the song, Lord, I lift your name in high, it says, you came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the cross, from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name in high. And so he showed us what it looks like to actually live by love, not live by the law. So there is God stepping out of his rightful place of privilege in heaven to meet our need. And God expects us to do the same. To step out of our place of comfort, our place of privilege, into the place of need wherever we are. Each of us should be following in Jesus in the same sort of way. To become more like him, to be more like Christ-like, to be motivated out of love, not the law. And actually to do this is actually really hard. We all tend to have this nature that wants to sort of head back to self-centeredness, much like a lawn bowl's weighted ball. And when you, you roll the ball down, the lawn bowl always goes to the weighted side. And I find that in myself. I always have this tendency to, to sort of go back to self-centeredness. And I guess that's part of sanctification. We aren't perfect when we become a Christian. And God works with us to change us to be more like Christ through our life. That God challenges us not to be weighted towards ourselves, but actually flip the ball around, put the weight on the other side, weighted towards others and love. <clears throat> so while we can't change the world, we can change the world for one. And when one person change, changes, <clears throat> the world changes for a better, little by little. And that's what the story of the Good Samaritan is about. This was a true mark of this mark was a true mark of a mark of the true Christian to love God, love your neighbour, and especially love your brother and sister in Christ. That's actually how the Roman Empire was changed. Tacitus records that Nero fearfully persecuted the Christians in AD 64, and yet early Christians were committed to radically loving one another. Early Christians were fed to wild animals used as torches to light the streets at night and uh, committed uh, in all manner of horrible tortures. And yet they still chose to love. And as a result, the Roman Empire that persecuted them in that first century was won over in the fourth century, not by force, but by love. God's love through his people in the Roman Empire. But there's not only a physical aspect to meeting people's needs, there's a spiritual aspect. Often as we meet people's physical needs and express God's love in a practical way, that opens the door to the question, why are you doing this? I think that's in Colossians, what mean, um, Paul means in the book of Colossians, it says, be prepared to give an answer. So when your good deeds, you're loving one another, invokes questions in those we encounter, we should be prepared to give an answer for the love and hope within us. In Paul's letter to the Romans, we see this um, explanation of the spiritual aspect of God's love. And this is what you, these sets of verses, what they commonly call as the Romans' road to salvation. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard or God's glory. That's in Romans 3. And then Romans 6, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It talks about the consequences, but God hasn't left us in a hopeless situation. 
He sent Christ to save us. And then in Romans 10, it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so that's our natural position and our sin sickness or sin injury. The consequences of that is eternal separation from God. But Jesus Christ came and provided a way and all we have to do is call on God's name. At Christ's crucifixion, we see two criminals crucified with Christ. And I believe the two criminals, uh, sorry, and the two criminals responded in very different ways. One, uh, one continued on his self-centeredness and one respond, and responded to Christ. And I believe they symbolize the two possible responses we can have to Christ. Luke records in his eyewitness and Luke records eyewitness accounts as follows. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him and said, Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly, I tell you, today you will be in paradise. So there was a guy acknowledging his sin and calling on the name of the Lord. And what was Jesus' response? Today you will be with me in paradise. And that is put before every one of us today, those two responses. One continued with his self-centered life, even to the very end, but the other criminal called on the name of the Lord and was saved. But back to the story of the Good Samaritan. When I asked uh, the question, who do you identify? Did you answer if a little bit like me? Perhaps the Levite or the priest? Some may have even said I can relate to the Samaritan, which is great. But who identified with the person who was left dead on the road? What if we're the ones in need of saving? What if we bear more resemblance to the helpless man dying on the side of the road than one of the other characters in this story? Unless someone came along and rescued the man on the side of the road with self-sacrificial neighbour love, he would have died of his injuries. And unless someone comes along and rescues us with self-sacrificial God love, we will die in our sin sickness. What if the good Samaritan is a Christ type? who must risk much to meet the need of the one and show God's love to a sin-sick person. For me, this changed the parable a lot. Then Jesus' final words aren't to the self-justifying lawyer. They actually echo through the ages to us as well. His parting words, go and do likewise, echo to us and challenge us today. So consider how being cleaned up, healed of our sin-sickness, now motivates us to go and love others, love our neighbours, in the near and far concept, meeting both their physical and their spiritual needs. This, I believe, provides us with a much stronger motivation than just following a set of rules because we have been healed. We have been patched up by a precious saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. We love because God first loved us, because he stepped out from heaven to earth to meet us at our point of need. Another way that the Good Samaritan challenges us today is by asking, who is our neighbour? 
It is those near and far, those who we live next to, but also those we come across in the normal rhythm of life. In the story of the Good Samaritan, he was a long way from home, and yet the Good Samaritan stopped and met the needs of the person he encountered on the road. Unlike me this morning. <laughs> Could have helped a neighbour. But again, I think Colin would have been stressed. <laughs> Sometimes we need to be more intentional about looking after, looking after your neighbours. And MAF does this, um, has been looking at this very closely recently, and um, in our next video, we're just going to explore a little bit of the work that's going on PNG and how we're intentionally looking at um, trying to meet the needs of a, an, uh, another group of people, which um, is always good to just uh, analyze how we're going. So if you can play the next video. And so under the visionary leadership of Surgeon Dr. Varhees Phillip, otherwise known as VP, we began to look intentionally at areas across Papua New Guinea where we could make significant impact. We met with Dr. David Mills, the medical superintendent of Enga Baptist Health Services, otherwise known as Copium Hospital. I'll never forget that meeting. We met in my office in November of 2017 and said, David, if we were to come alongside you as MAP and help you make lasting physical and spiritual impact in the Enga and East Sepik areas, what would that look like? David looked at his feet and said, we're struggling already. I can't afford that. And I said, David, forget about the money. If MAF were to come alongside you, how could you truly reach the people of the East Sepik and Enga areas? Dr. Mills began to outline how he had nine communities and how it took him several days to walk to and from each community. How there was a desperate need, but he just couldn't get to them on a regular basis. There weren't enough days in the year. And so a plan was drafted, nine airstrips every quarter, drop off a medical team, come back two days later and pick the team up, 18 flights a quarter, 72 flights a year. Our MAP PNG budget was already in significant deficit. Could we do this? No, we couldn't. But God could. And that is exactly what happened. Unexpected funding sources were developed. Additional back charters were requested. And after our first year of successful Copium Health Patrol flights, our subsidy account was hardly touched. The Lord had provided. But this was just the beginning. As we were executing on the Copium Health Patrols, Dr. BP was dreaming of ARC, healthcare access to remote communities, a project similar to Copium, where we could begin delivering regular <coughs> preventive care, immunizations, water health and sanitation training to some of the most remote and under-accessed communities along PNG's border with Indonesia. After several permutations and engagement with the Sustainable Development Program Limited of PNG, Aerial Health Patrols was established in July of 2019. This partnership has now resulted in the purchase of two additional Cessna 208 aircraft for delivery of the health initiatives, providing service to 34 airstrips with four medical teams, with the ultimate goal of 72 airstrips and 12 teams by the end of 2023. New initiatives, new impact, new airplanes, a renewed vision and purpose, the program was starting to make exponential growth. But what we realized we needed most was to focus on our foundation, our spiritual foundation. Our morning devotional times were enhanced. A weekly power hour prayer time was established where we meet each Friday to pray for the program and the needs of MAF across the world. Prayer and fellowship times were being encouraged across our bases and we had a common thrust. We can't do this, but God can. <clears throat> so here's here we can see what we can do when we partner with a living 
and act of God. And the differences being made, you can see here, aren't just for the current generation. They're actually for future generations. My sister wrote a book called Wangano. Um, she was up in PNG in the mid-70s. And that's a story about a, um, uh, one of the village elders who was incredibly transformed by the good news at that time. Him and also the village at the time. They no longer lived in fear of the evil spirits which they used to worship because they now worship the creator God. And they worship the creator God because of what Jesus did and the sacrifice he made. He stepped out of heaven to earth to meet their needs as well as ours. They were no longer bent on revenge but were committed to forgiveness. He treated his wives with respect and no longer beat them or mistreated them. If any of the pigs got injured, the wives got beaten. If any of the children were injured, the wives got beaten. If any of the pigs died, watch out. The wife bear was going to get it. But that transformed them because they were showing love for one another because of what love of God had, um, had shown to them. They learned to read and write. They learned about the basics of hygiene and the mortality rate dropped significantly. In the 1970s, child mortality rate was one in seven. Today it's around 1 in 22. New Zealand by comparison is 1 in 212. So their mortality rate is, is huge. And this is why things like the Area Health Patrol are so important to those people there. They don't have access to the same health and, and um, services that we do. And MAF was part of my sister's story as well. MAF provided the vital lifeline for her to be able to go in and out there and provide the regular weekly flights for her vital supplies, mail and connection with the outside world. Once a week she used to look forward to the sight of, listen for the sound of the MAF plane coming down the valley and uh, with her vital supplies. And she used to enjoy the encouragement that she would get from talking to the MAF pilot as well. So that was a vital connection for her. So when... Um, So as you've partnered with myself uh, and with MAF, you've been part of that story too. You've been, you've been involved in transforming lives for good for the current the generations to come. And it's amazing the difference that it makes. Um, so the next uh, video that we're going to see now is called um, From This Day Till Now. And that sort of picks up about the partnership that we have and the generational change that's been made through one person. So you play the video now.
So in summary, I just want to say thank you for your partnership with myself and with MAF. Um, <clears throat> we have and we will continue to make a difference through the generations um, because of this partnership. But I do want to come back to <clears throat> an earlier point that I made about calling on God, God's name being saved. If that's resonated with you this morning, then I challenge you not to let that go. It may be that God's speaking to you this morning. If that is true, I want to give the opportunity to call on God's name now. Let's everybody bow our heads. And if you want to call on God's name now, you can repeat a simple prayer after me. And if you pray that prayer, I'll ask everybody to continue to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. And as I pray this prayer, you, if you want to call on God's name, you can do that now. I'll just, be, I'll, I'll just share a prayer that you can say. And if you want to call on God's name, you can repeat that after me. Lord, I confess that I have fallen short of your standards and your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came and took the punishment for my sin. Thank you that you gave your life for me. Please forgive me and help me now as I decide to live only for you. Just keep our heads, heads bowed and our eyes closed. If you prayed that for the first time this morning, I'll look up now and if we make eye contact, we can acknowledge that you've made that step this morning and you can um, come and have a chat afterwards and we can talk about what the next steps would be. Maybe you're sitting there now and saying, I've still got questions, I'm not ready. That's okay. Ask God to reveal himself to you. His word says, if you seek him, he will be found. You want to have a chat to myself or one of the other, your friends who's a Christian, go and do so. But I really encourage you to journey together. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you that we are family as we follow you, Lord Jesus. Let's pray you bless every person here this morning. Bless them, they can be a blessing to others. Be conduits of your grace, your love, your mercy to every person they go across. I pray your blessing. Pray, I pray your blessing on each person here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We have the music teams or the musos, as the Aussie would say, come up. Good and... time. I wrote a letter for, for us all to, about the Sunday about COVID stuff, and I had charts and things. And you know, they changed the world. So it just, it's just we've been living with a, quite a lot of change. And so we know that next week we'll be moving from level two into a traffic light system, which we're doing because we know that Delta is on its way to Christchurch. Santa Claus is coming, so is, so is COVID. We're doing it because it's legal. Uh, we're doing it out of our desire to seek the wellness of others. Okay, so we're going to be talking about that today. And so this Sunday is not like a normal Sunday. We're going to stop streaming. Hello to all of those out in, there in the interweb. Um, uh, we're going to stop streaming when we get to a discussion time. We've sat you in kind of semicircles in the hope that we can talk together. I'm aware, look, I'm really struggling to get my head around how we do community and we keep COVID and spacing. So if you are happy with to talk with the people around you, that would be lovely. 
Um, if you're feeling like you just want to keep some distance, that's fine. You know, these days it matters that we look after ourselves. What we're going to do today is we're going to take communion together, we're going to hear a Bible story, and then look at the context of where we are and have a bit of a panel and a discussion really around how we best love God, love our neighbours, and how we care for the vulnerable. That's our kind of main topic of conversation. I wasn't certain how best to do communion so that we could kind of keep guidelines. So what I have done is set up, um, set up those little um, Ribena containers on plates. With So there's six cups on each plate, in theory, um, and the Ribena containers and some bread so that we could maybe take them in the groupings that we are. That limits the amount of cross-contact that we make. Um, if you are uncomfortable with this because you're feeling like that's asking people to go into your bubble, just don't. Just say, no thanks. That's perfectly acceptable behaviour, OK? We are all um, looking after ourselves in this animal. So in the... Um, can I... Can you swap... Morgan, can you swap it over to the um, uh, apple? So... Bit of a reminder, Christians around the world do this thing called communion or Eucharist or the Lord's Supper because Jesus asked his followers to. And last time we did this, I reminded people that one of the lines in Baptist churches was, this is for all who love our Lord Jesus Christ and are walking in love and charity with their neighbour, which is nice because it reminds us, well, how am I doing at that? And that's actually one of the things we're going to talk about. I'd like to pray, and then if in the kind of groupings you've got, you'd like to... Um, send someone up to grab a plate, bring it back to your thing, um, and put the straw in, squirt it down to the glasses, we'll take communion. Okay? Um, but I'm just going to pray over the elements now. Oh God, we give thanks for this bread and wine, a timeless reminder of the flesh and blood of Jesus, broken, rejected, and yet unstoppable. In Christ we see a life that cannot be ended by death, a purpose that will not be silenced by the forces of violence, a desire you have for the transformation of this world. So as we eat bread and drink wine, we thank you for accepting us, for transforming our shame into dignity and loving us into life. We thank you for seeing potential in us, inviting us to be partners in your vision for this world. As we eat this bread and drink the wine together, we call on your spirit to be alongside us so that together in the company of your spirit we may give ourselves afresh to the task of remembering you, of being the body of Christ, of living your life in this world. Amen. So the elements are here. We're just going to play a bit of a song in the background and then at some point in time we'll start singing and if you haven't ate, eaten and drunk, that would be a cue for you. Another, ...as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this... Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Second reference is from Matthew 22, verse 36 onwards. When asked what the greatest commandment in the law is, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. OK, 
Okay, and the third reference is from Luke 4, 18 and 19, where Jesus stands up in the synagogue and reads from the scroll. And the reason we have this one is it shows a little bit of God's heart for the vulnerable. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the, for the prisoners and of recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And so you see this thing about the vulnerable, the poor, the prisoner, the blind, the oppressed. And now I want to tell you a quick Bible story. I promise it will be quick. So this is from Acts chapter 11 where a group of travelling prophets have come from Jerusalem to Antioch, which is in Syria, and, um, and one of them, a guy called Agabus, stands up and predicts that there's going to be a severe famine that's going to spread over all the Roman world. Woohoo! Good news. Santa Claus is coming? No, this is famine is coming. And... Uh, so a prophet stands up and predicts something scary is coming to town, and I thought it would just be valuable for us to pause there for a moment and notice things that the followers of Jesus don't do. The first thing they don't do is they don't get all political. They don't blame the emperor, though they probably could have, or whoever was in charge of their district. They just didn't go there at all. They don't get into the politics of the situation. In fact, they don't do any blaming they don't. Another thing that used to happen in those days is bad news, and so we figure we have sinned and we need to repent. They actually don't play the blame game at all. One more thing they don't do, which they could have, it's a famine, and I don't know about you, but when you read about those predictions of the end times, there are famines listed. They don't mention this. They don't go there at all. So what do they do? Well, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift through the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Here's what they did, and this is, uh, they're very, very practical, and they answer three questions. They ask, who is going to be at special risk when this famine happens? Turns out um, that Jerusalem has a high proportion of people who've become Christians, a lot of um, older um, a lot of older women who don't have income, and they're seen as being particularly vulnerable. So what they do, they ask the second question is, what can we do to help, is they gather up money, and they have a gift, and um, it does get to them. And then they also ask, who can we send this gift with, who can we trust? And they send it with Barnabas and Saul. So the answer, well, um, one writer the same writer who points out these three questions says that God always wants to work in his world through his loyal human beings. And I tell you that story just because it's a practical response to something scary that was coming their way. So our goal today is to have a low-tension conversation about how we love one another um, and how we care for the vulnerable. Um, I read a marriage um, uh, advice for marriages and the guy reckoned he could predict which marriages would last and the secret was that you could talk about the areas where you differed, had an irreconcilable difference with the language he used, without the tension levels getting too high. And he said sometimes that meant it gets, starts to get the tension and then somebody makes a joke. Yep, and it just lowers it down. He said that's really healthy. So this is our goal. Okay. So in that, we accept that we will have differences of opinion. Yeah, jokes are welcome. <laughs> yeah, jokes are welcome. Uh, um, we accept that we have differences, 
and that everybody gets to be loved and valued. Right? In the context of today, this is not the venue to try and convince everybody that you're right and everybody should believe what you believe. Okay, that is not what we're going to try and do. You are welcome to try that, to do that in other venues and contexts, but that's actually not what our goal is here. We're going to be trying to listen to each other to do a thing Baptists call discern together. And discerning together is not really about voting. It's about us all trying to get a sense of, God, what are you saying? What is the wisest thing for us to do? So that requires us to listen. I'll be finished. So not about politics, not about blame, and if you want to go down end times world, feel free, but can we not do it this morning? Okay, because we're looking at a, a, a practical response, not about you being right, not about getting what you prefer. Okay, this is us. We come here knowing what I, each of us knows what I think. We're actually coming to learn what we think. So listening, love, and discerning. Okay, that's, that's the preamble already. Now we go into, oh, another, what, not sure what that slide's there. A little bit about our context. In the last two years, very few of us knew anything about masks. Most of us, when we thought about lockdown, we were ringing up the AA to let us into our car. Um, nobody, if somebody approached you and threatened to stick something up your nose, we'd go, what? Um, with some possible exceptions. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, hands up here who might have travelled overseas. Yeah, and, and, and put your hand up if you did. Yeah, exactly. And we all learnt about working from home. It's been a really dramatic set of changes in the last two years, hasn't it? So pause for just a moment. How has that been for you? Just internally check. How do you feel about that? Okay. Globally, our context, um, a lot of people have been dying of COVID. Yep. Um, if you see us, we're at the very bottom of that graph with just a few. We haven't really seen it. By locking down and isolating, New Zealand has largely avoided uh, the deaths that the pandemic has breached to others. Um, aside from locking down, isolating masks and washing hands, the main other tool that governments have available appears to be vaccination. And my understanding is that it lowers the chance of you, um, it lowers the effect of you getting COVID and lowers the likelihood of you passing it on to others. That's my understanding. And locally, what does that mean for us? Well, in New Zealand, we're at 92% of um, uh, the eligible population having had a first vaccine. And locally here, just thought I'd check and see what's our area like. Um, this was as of the 17th of November, most of our area uh, are above 91%, okay, with the exceptions of Rafferty, um, North Beach, and Waitakere. No, no, and Marshlands. So that's our context. Last part of our context that I want to mention that we're going to get into uh, real stuff is I do want to acknowledge that we have had a couple of years of quite high and sustained change, um, so much so that I, you know, the research I did last week has changed. Um, and with that, there's a whole bunch of things that have happened for us personally. So there are people who are very nervous and anxious about the arrival of COVID-19 in Christchurch. There are people who are not sure what to do. There are people who are very nervous of a vaccine and uh, don't want to take it. And there are families where people are at opposites and there's quite high levels of um, um, tension in families with people with different stances people who've chosen not to vaccinate, we're aware that some people have lost jobs and may find themselves feeling quite marginalised or, or bullied 
And so while that's happening on one side, on the other side, Anita, as she was mentioning, is telling people this is going to be a vaccinated event and a whole bunch of people are going, oh, I'll come, okay, because people are nervous. So again, this is why a low-tension conversation would be helpful, but it's worth knowing. Um, and there is a place for anger and lament. So if you find yourself feeling these kind of things, it's okay to feel them. We would ask you not to dump them on others, but actually to recognise there's a place for that. You've heard more than enough from me. Actually, can I start with Janet? Ha, that'll get you. Janet, what does all this look like in your context? Okay, so um, most of you know I work in early childhood, so that's an education sector. So um, 15th of November was the last day I could have unvaccinated staff working at our centre. Um, so that involved a few conversations beforehand. Um, don't know what it is, but we are a Christian centre, so we had Christian people who chose not to vaccinate. and um, Yeah, and that was really hard because, um, yeah, their, their faith their way of looking at life meant that they believed God was saying not to vaccinate, whereas um, I probably came from it a different way. Well, I know I did. Um, but also we were being mandated by the government. And um, in terms of dealing with staff who you've built a working relationship with, that you're friends with, that you know their value, and um, having to tell them that they can't work in, um, in our space anymore was really, really hard. And I wanted to do it in the kindest possible way. Um, I wanted to respect their opinion and listen to them. Um, and thankfully, none of them went down the conspiracy theory <laughs> route, so that was quite easy to do. But also to go that this is, this is what it is. Um, we work in a vulnerable industry. Um, in early childhood, there is no such thing as social distancing. We don't wear masks. We have children who slobber all over us, who um, wipe their noses on us, who, um, you know, blow raspberries in our faces, all of those sorts of things. It's great. It's lovely. And we want to give those kids our best and absolute care and attention and love. And so we have to trust that we're doing so in as safe an environment as possible. And that's what the mandate meant still really, really hard. Um, and I do have to tell one story of one of our parents who um, worked at another centre and she chose not to get vaccinated. She came back absolutely, on her last day, came back absolutely shell-shocked because she had been treated so badly by the people that she worked with. It broke my heart. And so even though I knew she wasn't vaccinated, I gave her a hug because I want to still be able to do that, because that's what we do in our centre. But I'm looking at Delta moving down to Christchurch, you know, when Auckland opens up and people start travelling, and I'm going, what does that look like in our context? Again, we've got a lot of unvaccinated parents. Um, and I have to go, well, how do I protect everybody? Education is open for all. I can't discriminate and say, you can't come in because you're not vaccinated. So the same rule for one for an unvaccinated person is going to apply for a vaccinated. Um, so at moment, parents don't need to wear masks to come in. Um, we encourage parents to stay, and we've felt safe doing that this side of Christmas. Next side of Christmas, it's going to be so different, and that's really going to change the way that our centre runs. 
my team and I have worked so hard over the years to make our place a safe place for everybody and COVID's stuffing that up. But we want to be there for our families long term and we want to protect our vulnerable people, our little children, our families who are unvaccinated, our families who are vaccinated, and I want to protect my vulnerable staff. So we're just going to go with it and, and trust God's got this because he's bigger than all of this. But it's not easy. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I suppose when I think about sort of the vaccine and what's on top, for me, um, my second eldest brother, Jaden, is getting married at the start of January. Um, and obviously weddings are an exciting time for the couples. Um, but just talking to him on the phone recently, just the whole uncertainty and unknown about, you know, how many people they would have or whether would be in lockdown. He lives up in Palmerston North and, you know, two weeks ago he was down here and they had a case announced in Palmerston North and all of a sudden, you know, it threw another spinner in the works. What are we going to do? Um, but on top of that, for him it's been a really hard time. Um, he's had people from both sides of the thing, people saying, look, I'd love to come to your wedding, but I won't attend if there's unvaccinated people there. I just, you know, that's not a risk that I want to take. And then people on the other side, um, you know, within our friends and family who for a variety of reasons have chosen not to get the vaccine. And he's, he's struggling with the tension between wanting everyone there and our, you know, and our friends and family group, but also realising that people have different views, that some people don't want to be there if there's unvaccinated people and some people aren't unvaccinated who he would want there. Um, and just recently the venue that he's getting married at has put in a decision that all um, attendees will have to be vaccinated. It's um, one of the rules that they've made. They've had, you know, significant loss throughout lockdowns and they don't want to be the next venue that where there's a super spreader event where they have to lock down for even further and, you know, push them over the edge. And so unfortunately for us um, as a family, that means, you know, certain people can't attend the wedding because their, their choice for a variety of reasons not to be vaccinated means that the venue won't allow them there. Um, and obviously that creates points of tension and hurt um, within a family and within, you know, friend groups. But unfortunately that's just the reality of what we're facing at the moment. Thank you. So I've been asked to be part of this panel because I'm a general practitioner, which I think many of you probably know that, but maybe not everybody. Uh, so in my context, in the work context, general practice is a different beast than it was two years ago. Uh, so now I have a porter cabin in my car park where anybody with respiratory symptoms, a cough, a, a runny nose, a sore throat, has to be seen. They can't come into the building. And initially I think people found that quite affronting, actually, were quite almost offended that they were being pushed put aside and they had to stay in their car and the spaceman comes out to see them because I have all my gear on. Um, and now I think there's an acceptance that that is just how it is because that is for the protection of other people that we need to do that. And I don't like putting PPE on and, and um, especially the N95 mask, which is like Darth Vader. 
Um, I don't like that at all, but it's for protection of me, it's, but it's for protection of the next patient that I see. So it's not just about me as an individual. Vaccination was obviously offered early to me, being a healthcare professional, so I was vaccinated in April um, when it first came out. And again, that wasn't a decision that I felt was about me. I felt that was about protecting my vulnerable patients, protecting my family from me bringing things home. Um, so it was a much bigger decision than just did I want to be vaccinated. I have booked in my booster for next week too. <laughs> so um, I thought I'd better have done that before I speak. <laughs> um, the next question I guess we are wrestling with in the practice at the moment is how do we manage unvaccinated patients and the risk that they potentially will pose to our, our vulnerable patients? Um, so do we not bring them into the waiting room? You know, do we, some practices are choosing to have virtual consultations with unvaccinated patients or see them in our lovely little porter cabin in the car park and all the PPE, um, which again is another thing that might become a bit affronting to people. They may feel that they're being singled out. So it's that balance between protecting others, but providing care. And I think perhaps there's some lessons for in that for us as well. How do we do that? How do we protect others, but also provide a standard of, you know, provide care? I'll call it a standard of care because that's what it is in general practice. But we, our standard of care is really high in church, isn't it? You know, so... Um, and who are the vulnerable people? Well, the, they're, they're people with chronic conditions. They're people who are immunosuppressed. They're people who are older. Um, they're children who are, are unable to be vaccinated but um, may not get that sick themselves but may pass it on to the, the rest of the people in their lives. And all of those people we have amongst us. Mm -hmm. So just um, things for us to consider. Now can I ask you, just as a, as a doctor in the mix, in the letter that I wrote, I, I quoted a stat which was from Stuff, and I didn't put the reference there, but it was from Stuff, okay? It wasn't from an official um, yep. governmental site, and it talked about unvaccinated people. Uh, if you're hanging with someone else and they are unvaccinated, it said you are tw uh, 20 times more likely to get the virus from someone who is unvaccinated. Now, so I just, as a GP, what's your understanding of this? So I guess that's something that we don't have hard data on. Um, but I looked up a study, actually, because um, I thought you'd probably ask me that difficult question. Um, and I looked up a study that was done in the UK, um, just finished in September, on, um, on household contacts of vaccinated, you know, vaccinated or unvaccinated. Um, and the rate of... Um, the vaccinated household contacts getting infected was about two-thirds um, that of vaccinated. But then you're talking about people who are having repeated exposure, not, you know, the casual exposure that we might have in a room like this, for example. So you can't necessarily sort of transfer that. The figure that gets bandied around is, you know, might be about... Um, uh, 10 times less likely to get infect, infected in a casual encounter um, if you're vaccinated compared to being unvaccinated. Uh, they found that people who are vaccinated and get infected 
uh, still have similar load of the virus, but they clear it much faster. So um, therefore your length of time that you would be infectious to other people will be a lot reduced if you are vaccinated compared and to And potentially the impact on your body is less because you've had yeah. it? Yeah, so the impact on you is much less. So mm. you know, the chance of being hospitalised is 10% um, of what it is if you're unvaccinated. Okay, so what we've done is listen a bit to people's context. Hopefully it's got you thinking about your own context as well. Um, we're going to shift. What we're going to do is have a bit of time just to talk together. So I'd like you to talk with each other, if you're happy to, um, about this first question is who is particularly vulnerable to COVID? Are those of you who heard Lauren got some clues about that? <laughs> um, but just it's a discussion of who is vulnerable. I'd, can we start by having a bit of discussion about that? While we're doing that, we're going to have the same discussion up here, and then we'll get a little bit of feedback from people. Okay, that's part one. Go for it. I hate talking over the top. It's got us talking, and goodness knows we know how to talk about COVID. It's a little bit like the earthquakes was way back. It's the thing we all talked about, but I... Whoops, sorry, that shouldn't be there. Not sure how that happened. Uh, I wonder if, um, if anyone would like to give some feedback. Um, and Kyron has volunteered to be a roving man with a mask, so does anyone want to make, make any comments about this question? about who is particularly vulnerable to COVID? Mm 
the elderly. Yep, but Chris was. Yep, people with chronic conditions. Children. So you're saying that you think probably everybody's a bit vulnerable? Was, is that what you're saying? Yep, I, I think we, we had a little chat to say, actually, you know, I don't know. I was asthmatic as a kid, and we know that this thing affects um, your, your pulmonary system, so actually, we don't know. There's this uncertainty for us. We haven't, haven't seen it. So that was um, COVID, people who work in COVID-rich environments. So actually, Lauren, my wife, Linda, would say get vaccinated for the health workers because um, if you're working in an environment that's surrounded with COVID, you are quite likely to get it. Um, yeah, so Lauren just said a lot of the deaths have occurred in health, where, health workers because that's the environments they work in. That's not what we typically think is vulnerable, but it is. Okay, that was a relatively... Oh, yep, Linda. The unvaccinated. The unvaccinated, absolutely. Yes. There is certainly, um, yep, so um, Phil's comment is, can we include in the vulnerable, uh, there are people who have not chosen to take the vaccine for philosophical reasons, there are some people who physically can't, uh, they're undergoing treatment, or they, uh, this is where I get, I, I don't know the exact reasons, and that certainly those people are, are this is not yet an option for the, that they can take. Um, and so they are, that's right. I mean, it doesn't matter the reason you don't do it. In the end, that puts you in a position where you are more vulnerable. Um, so Dennis just asked us to define who is what I mean by vulnerable, um, and saying that um, people may get mild cases of uh, COVID. Um, and I thought I'd let someone who knows more than me. Yeah, I think we're talking about people who are more vulnerable to get more unwell as a result of COVID, because everybody who is unvaccinated is equally vulnerable, uh, but some are, are more vulnerable to getting seriously unwell than others. And yeah, that's what I think. Yes, that, that would be my, my take. Okay, this is my second, our second question. What does it look like for us to love these people, i.e. those who are vulnerable, 
at this time. So practically, what does that look like? That's your topic to have a conversation about. If you can wait till the mic gets you, then I don't have to repeat what you say. So if the person is self-isolating, then you can like um, video call them, um, maybe like once a day or once a week so that they don't feel lonely. So that's regular contacts, video calls, that kind of thing. Um, pick up like, I don't know, pick up groceries and stuff for them and, um, and all that sort of stuff, make like a care package or, what, or whatnot. <laughs> Yeah, we can pray for them, <laughs> uplift them, let them know they, they prayed and they loved, and we're praying for them. And also, just introduce truth where truth is needed. You know, Facebook isn't a peer-reviewed medical source. Sometimes we need to say that with love, with love. It's not? Continue to treat people how we would, in any case, not change how we act around people and stuff like that. Like, continue to treat them as if they were anybody else. I, um, I have a practical for us. Uh, I went to a meeting a couple of weeks ago, came away afterwards thinking, you know what we could do? So, um, there's a whole bunch of postcards here, if you'd like one. What they say on the back is, this, in this year, the, um, they're to give to your neighbour. For, to start a conversation, in the next year, a number of people in our neighbourhood may get sick with COVID-19. We hope most will be mild cases, but we know some won't. Just wanted you to give, a, give you our name and phone numbers and indicate that if you found yourself at home sick and needed a neighbour to drop off a meal to your place, do a basic grocery shop and drop it at your front door, touch base over the phone or video call, um, to, just to raise your spirits or to listen to you, we'd love to help. It's tricky because we can't because of the risk of spreading COVID. We'd have to wear masks and maintain distance, and there'd be some details to work out. For example, who's going to pay for that shopping? Would want to do that out. Um, but we reckon that being good neighbours means supporting one another, and we'd hate for you not to be able to call on us. I think it would be brilliant if everybody took two or three of these. And um, don't, don't drop it in their letterbox. Have a conversation because that conversation sets you up. What we are looking at in the future is people are going to get sick. 
Um, even if it's a mild case, they're going to be isolated and sick. Yep. And then there's going to be other people who will be scared and at home who are scared of getting sick. And um, at this time, we can support people. So, um, brief plug, they're up here. Please do take some in. If you're wondering, um, the, plas the paper bag has a, a slightly softer option that doesn't offer a meal <laughs> or to shop that just says we'd like to help um, because there may be some of you who think, oh, I'm not cooking a meal for someone else. <laughs> um, uh, love you too. Any other practicals? Um, our group, um, they talked about uh, not letting fear um, guide how we treat other people. And um, the other thing was that Isaac suggested that we could have uh, church on the internet so that people who aren't here could um, still be part of our family when we're screening church like we normally are, but that was the other thing that um, one of our groups said. Yes, so we are trying to stream our services um, in general, um, and we are, and I'm, I'm aware of time, I'll just, I'll... <laughs> Uh, we, we are trying to stream our services, and look, if it gets that we, there, not many of us can gather, then we will go back to using Zoom, um, because it is a way that we can connect easily, and it has that personal part. The breakout rooms are, are lovely. Um, we're not doing that at the moment because it's another layer of superstructure. Okay, now we come to the tough question. Tough question for us. This is spe what specific protection measures could be in place during our times of meetings. So we've seen some of them. Um, we wear masks. We generally we've had our seats more distanced than this, but we'd had a wedding, and I need to, us to be able to talk to each other. Um, we're, there's a series of things in place, but the tough question for us really is: Well, what are we going to do as regards to the protection measures we're going to take place and our our most challenging thing is that um, depending on the level of the traffic light, if you are, my current understanding is that in, in the red zone, if the traffic light is red, then if you are gathering and not checking vaccination certificates, then you are limited. I understand the number is now 25. It's moved up from 10, happened this week then the, your maximum cap is 25 for a gathering. If you're, ch if you're checking vaccinated, so the people who are vaccinated, then there isn't a limit. It, I think that's the case in red. Is it 100 red? Red is 100. Red is 100, okay. And then orange is, um, I, I believe orange is 50 or unlimited. Yep, and green is... Um, Hundred and unlimited. So you know it better than me. Um, so we, as a church, have to make some calls on this. Um, and this is. So I'd like you to have a chat together about this through the eyes of protective measures. And remember, our overlaying construct is: how do we best love others in this? Back to conversation time. Cut it off, but we're going to do one more run round to hear some feedback about this. This one is, is more complicated than any other. There is no decision here. There was no way of going that has, has no effect on anyone that is just, just open um, because there are uh, mandated limits. And so in the end, you can end up excluding two different groups of people without even trying. Um, so if you say everyone can come in and we're not going to check, we're going to lose anybody who feels nervous.
Right? And we know from Anita's comments that's actually a big proportion of our... Uh, 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 there's a significant proportion of our population, as well as we'll own the risk um, that we are taking for others. But if we exclude people who aren't vaccinated, well, how do we care for them? What do we do? Because that's our... You know, we are... It's duty on us to love others. Yep, so that's my background. Who'd like to make a comment? You could actually have um, this vaccine-only area, but then run satellite communities um, in homes of up to 25 and still have care in those groups. Um, so a possibility of satellite communities? So if there were unvaccinated people, like maybe we could put them in those hamster bubbles so then we can't touch them. <laughs> put unvaccinated people in hamster bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> can, can the vaccinated people have a go too? Because that sounds fun. <laughs> hamster ball church. So there's a question about whether or not we can have different zones in the building, and the part answer to that is um, we could potentially use the hall outside. Um, I'm not sure about the airflow between this. You wouldn't be able to mix them, okay? So you'd kind of need a different entrance, and you'd want to make sure that the airflow didn't go between the two. So I'm not sure even if that zone uh, uh, in our whanau would work. It is separate. No, we couldn't use this. We couldn't use any other part of this building because there would be cross contamination. If we could only use the children, the, the mesh building, the community. Building. Could you get I think Janet from her um, childcare thing might know this one. Yeah, no, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's a building. You, you're going to need to. No, I, I think you're running into um, a, a, a very. Challenging, a challenging and logistical nightmare there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the actual good point actually is it's not just about airflow, it's actually about flow of ingress. And then what needs to be on that. Yep. Completely Hold on, hold on, uh, hold on, hold on. Um, Kieran's had the mic for a while and he's been patiently waiting. I think we should give him. Um, I think it's a really great opportunity for us to look at our models that we use for life groups and start 
uh, building on that a bit more because under any alert level we can, right, sorry, traffic light level, we can meet together in small groups. And so how are we doing that well as a church and supporting each other in small groups for, it might not be for a long season, but it might be just something that we have to really hone in on for a short period of time while things start to kind of get ironed out a bit more. Absolutely. Yep, and I have, um, I'm aware of one church where um, they've deliberately been setting up a, um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, a virtual home group, a home group to function over Zoom, um, and I think that might be a good plan for us. Yeah, one of the things that we also have to be aware of that um, the community will be watching us. And so even if we would have a separate, un, you know, unvaccinated area, people from the outside won't see that. So that's another thing we need to keep in mind as well. Can I just ask a question? Um, if we make a church, we have to stick with that for all of our gatherings. Or is it something that we could use... Um, one rule for one situation, one rule for another. I'm just not sure. So, for example, the fact that now they've changed the limit to 25 um, under red, under not checking, that kind of will cover our life groups nicely, potentially. And so we could potentially have some life groups that are vaccinated only for people that were concerned or vulnerable, but all the others could be mixed and that would be fine. But the challenge comes when you have something like the youth group, where you've got up to 100 kids. Um, that's a whole other ball game. So I just wondered, are there some circumstances we could choose to check and other circumstances we could choose not to check or do legally we have to choose one option? This morning to try and keep us relatively focused, our, our addressing thing is in fact our, our morning gathering. We have been talking with ministry team leaders about what the appropriate steps are to make. And I don't want to crowdsource that one at the moment. Okay, so we are working on that. But today the pressing thing for us is going to be next week there are, um, if we're in orange, um, we have more people than will fit in a room um, if, we, uh, if we don't vaccine check. So we, we have to make a change whatever we do next week. So that's partly why we're raising this is to go, okay, what are we going to do? Yes, um, I was just going to say, um, keeping in mind what you've just said about the community sees and watches us and how we are handling this, both from a legal, practical and caring point of view regardless of their views. I think that it's very important and but I'm actually I don't know how you feel, but as Christians I think we should feel at peace that God's got this. And I think I'm sorry but I'm excited about it. <laughs> I hear a story about the idea of having little home groups and that and I think God will use us. Nothing is ever wasted and something amazing will come out of this. God will actually uh, use these times. And we, we don't need to be feel threatened. We don't need to feel afraid of what's coming. Uh, if, we, if we don't have our treasures on earth, then we can't lose anything, you know? If our treasure is in heaven, then that's where our reward is too. So we don't need to be afraid of death or any of those things. We just have to make sure we're caring. That's our motivation, is to be caring and to be seen to be caring and, and find creative ways of doing that. So I'm excited by this and I'm not afraid about the options that are coming. I have had my first vaccination now. I, I did it because, for me, I felt it was right. Uh, and I could no longer not be vaccinated because I felt it was right. Uh, and, and I'm strongly supporting those who choose not to. And that's, my, that's where I'm at. 
okay, because of different reasons, and um, majority is not always right. <laughs>
other aspect is I do think people looking in, what we've seen is that people in our area mostly have gone for vaccination. So I think that's, there's a, so those are the two options. So if you think the, um, your preferred option is uh, that we check for vaccinations, could you raise a hand, please? Uh, hi, so that we can... Okay, can you put that down? And if you think the alternative is that we don't check and we take the, um, the numbers hit, could you raise a hand, please? I'd like to thank you all for engaging in a um, conversation that hasn't been too high in, te in um, tension levels here. Um, we're not 90% um, in any camp, um, which means that we've got a little bit of legwork to do. Um, we'll talk about this as elders. Um, we'll come back to you. You're going to have to trust us a bit because we have to make a decision around how we're going to operate this coming week. Um, so uh, expect some communications. Right with that? Um, we would we'd like to sing one song and do a tiny bit of family business. Okay, and then we're done.